Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast here of Guardians of the Flame. Uh, if you're listening to this, you can actually also watch this interview on our YouTube channel, Guardians of the Flame. So if you go to YouTube, look up Guardians of the Flame, you'll find our channel and there you'll see, you know, there's a few interviews that we've done. So I want to thank you for um, listening here. The season two has been uh, really sponsored by the Community Relations Council in Belfast, and we're really grateful for their support. As an ongoing project, we're looking to continually be more sustainable, so we appreciate all the ways that our listeners can support us. So you can do that by reviewing and rating our podcasts on iTunes or wherever you do it, and we appreciate all your support through Patreon. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Well, it's uh, it's really good to be with uh, Sheikh Dr. Mohammed Al-Husseini, uh, Muhammad is a friend for I don't know three three or four years now, and um, it's uh, it's so good to have you here, Muhammad. So thank oh, you for you, coming. Mate. It's an honour to come come and talk to you. Yeah. So our kind of Guardians of the Flame crew have kind of had a, a work trip over to Luton for the day, and yes. uh, we interviewed Peter Adams earlier in the day, and um, and now we're actually in this is my mum's house, um, uh, and uh, in just outside Luton, between Luton and Harpenden. Um, and um, and Mohammed, you you kind of live in London, and uh, I guess I'm gonna gonna go kind of. Sometimes when you do these interviews, you do it in a more narrative style, tell the story of your, you know. I think I'm gonna go kind of st- kind of start it, probably the the episode in your life that maybe um, brought you to prominence, certainly in Ireland, in terms of the news and stuff. Uh, and that was essentially. Um, the pastor of the largest Christian church in Belfast, Pastor Jim McConnell, um, made statements um, about the Islamic religion um, that were would would be offensive, I think, to any Muslim really. Um, and he was taken to court, and um, in his defense, you spoke. Uh, and obviously, as a as an uh, Islamic scholar, as a uh, man of you know man of profound faith that you know people were like who's this speaking up for this kind of fundamentalist preacher can you kind of take us through some of those events of what happened and what you saw happening and what was it that prompted you to kind of speak well i think the context for it was um along with uh jewish rabbinical colleagues and some muslim colleagues and a lot of christian colleagues uh as junior clergy uh, across the three different faiths, and also Hindu colleagues, actually, uh, we have uh, been struggling um, in this country uh, with a, a really polarized position uh, between, on the one hand, uh, people on the what you might call the political far right, who have uh, used abuses of religion as as a vehicle to stoke the flames of ethnic as well as religious um, prejudice and and hostility towards different people groups. But then on the other hand, you have a a, a lobby um, that uh, kind of jumps on, has managed quite successfully to jump on the bandwagon of our millennial um, belief that we have a right not to be offended and use that as a way to apply downward pressure on the academic freedom to discuss, to debate, and quite rightly to criticise, to critique um, matters of religion, uh, religious teaching, doctrine, as well as the practice of different people. 
And so, you know, I personally, and indeed many of my colleagues, have experienced this when we have tried to have frank conversations about teachings within our own traditions uh, that we struggle with. Uh, as a Christian, you will, as a, as a devout mm. um, believing mm. Christian, mm. Uh, you will doubtless have struggled with difficult passages in your scriptures, mm. as and and I have in mine. And uh, yet, when we talk about um, the doctrinal mandates for, for example, uh, misogyny or violence, or the fact that all three of our traditions, uh, Judaic, Christian, and uh, Islamic, um, seem to condone at some level practices that we would find abhorrent today, like slavery. Mm. Uh, these, these, um, this kind of discourse has been uh, heavily, um, heavily limited by the current environment in which we, we, we're not able to discuss things freely and openly. So in that context, uh, Pastor James uh, raised a couple of issues uh, to do with Islamic teaching. I think uh, he did so by his own admission as somebody who uh, wasn't from that tradition. He talks about being a simple preacher mm. uh, and he talked about the the uh, uh, the uh, the beliefs of the Islamic faith in the context of uh, the persecution of Christian minorities around the world, which is something I, I, I deeply care about. Um, um, it's something I saw during my seminarian days uh, training in Egypt. I saw the way that the Copts were being treated, something I, 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 I have a very heavy heart for. And so when he did so, he used language uh, which I would disagree with, and I've told him, and we've discussed that. But what I was extremely concerned about was uh, the um, the role of the judiciary mm. uh, in interpolating itself into areas that I would have considered and my colleagues would consider to be matters for civil society. So the space within which we operate uh, is a space of ordinary citizens engaging and discussing and disagreeing about uh, religious beliefs, political beliefs, uh, a range of different issues. And for this to be uh, criminalised, for the judiciary to in insert itself into that space, um, and and subsequently, as inevitably tends to happen in the north of Ireland, it it became politicised and became a green orange issue at a certain level later down the line, with uh, the uh, the nationalist position being in favour of 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 uh, prosecuting uh, past. Past James McConnell and and then his his unionist colleagues uh, because his his congregation has quite a number of mm -hmm. of, of uh, Christian believers from uh, from the unionist tradition, um, you know, defending him. Um, it, it was just not this kind of situation that 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 uh, predisposed to an honest conversation. Mm -hmm. So um, I actually did nothing really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nothing new, nothing special, nothing spectacular. And I want to really emphasize mm -hmm. that. Actually, all I did was follow in the footsteps of a really wonderful and gentle and gracious man, uh, Father Paddy McCafferty, mm -hmm. who's a Catholic priest um, who uh, uh, is a survivor of Catholic clerical abuse, among other things, and a very vocal uh, critique, uh, a critic of 
of some of the wrongdoing within the uh, within the church's hierarchy, but at the same time a very devout and and uh, you know doctrinally conservative Christian believer, and in a situation that arose between them where Pastor James had um, some hard words to say about the teachings of the Catholic Church and talked about um, you know the the idea that Mary, uh, the Blessed Virgin, might uh, eventually become in, in Catholic teaching the fourth person of the Trinity, uh, and and when he was, you know, doing Christian witness in Catholic parts of uh, of Belfast, uh, Father Father Paddy McCafferty, he didn't he didn't he didn't squeal to the teacher, he didn't call in uh, the authorities, he did what every Christian rightly should do, which is to go and to meet and to talk. And out of that, there were very robust disagreements. You know, they had a good Barney. Mm. Um, um, but over that, over tea and cake, over 20 years, there developed a very strong bond uh, between those two men. And so um, all I did was uh, follow conscience and follow uh, what I know of the Irish people and, and of tea and cake. And 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 engage um, in a, in a, in a just a simple genuine way. I was concerned uh, for Father Pastor James. He's the same age as my dad, near enough. Um, and I know from personal experience, you know, when my dad sat in front of the TV, and he sees things that conflict with his worldview and the uh, life that he had growing up, the uh, social conservative. Um, attitudes he has about family, society, sexuality, and all the rest of it. You know, he, he expresses the views um, with all, you know, um, all candor and all conscience. And so I saw reflected in Pastor James um, many of the many of the honest uh, values that I, I, I see in my own parents. Mm. And, uh, and, and I, I'm committed to defending that but at the same time i'm very conscious of the hurt uh, that was caused uh to the very small um muslim community in 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 uh north north of ireland northern ireland and um i was very concerned that this might lead to a polarization uh that might actually result in violence or 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 there, there was already uh some violence but to, to an explosion of violence. Mm. And so in that environment, the way to talk peace is to go in with an honest heart uh, to say, look, I'm nobody. Mm. You know, I'm very small. I'm nobody. And and I just want to have an honest conversation about these things. Yeah. So um, you, you kind of talked about Father Paddy McCafferty, who's uh, from a Catholic background, a, a long-term friendship he had developed with um, Pastor James McConnell. And um, <laughs> Pastor McConnell is an interesting guy. Um, so a, a couple of years ago, a few of us in Ross Trevor, led by Tommy Sands mm. and also by yourself, um, developed a kind of um, what is becoming a charity, Art to Wonder, uh, taking a line out of one of Tommy Sands' songs from The Music of Healing, the song The Music of Healing. Um, and Art to Wonder it kind of convened essentially a gathering of religious leaders from the Muslim, um, Protestant and Catholic backgrounds and uh, Jewish rabbis, uh, sorry, yeah, Muslim, Christian and Jewish leaders. But of course, in our context in Northern Ireland, Christian also has that Protestant Catholic divide, which is more significant than in many places. Um, 
uh, and one of the things, one of the first things we did was invite Pastor McConnell came down, um, members of the Islamic Institute in Belfast who had kind of essentially been the ones who had been very disturbed by his comments. And, you know, one of the things that they had said was when a pastor like yourself with thousands of people in your church preaches a sermon against Islam, more of our members get beaten up that week. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of feels like you're... As I've observed your kind of life and your involvement in that particular situation, you find yourself often kind of between, you know, a rock and a hard place. You know, it kind of seems to be a theme in your life. Tough, yeah. You're the devil's, <laughs> not necessarily devil's advocate in a kind of a contrary way, but you have the ability to kind of see the other side where most people would have been deeply offended at Pastor McConnell's words. You saw in him someone that reminded you of your dad. Um, but I'm sure you also very much see the hurt of an immigrant Absolutely. population. Absolutely. Your own parents were immigrants. Um, can just before you know, we kind of go into issues and theology in your own life. What is it that you has think has shaped you to be that kind of in between person that often finds yourself befriending the others and kind of seeing it from the other perspective? Well, I guess it's the kind of uh, realities of being somewhat rootless mm. um, when you're a second generation son of immigrants, um, but brought up by my parents outside the community, mm. outside the, the, the migrant community. Uh, my mum and dad were very determined that I shouldn't end up being ghettoized, and, um, and neither, neither myself or sister. And, and so um, I had the honor and privilege, nothing that I've ever done, but my parents, uh, put me into uh, schooling uh, where, you know, 40% uh, of uh, the lads at my um, uh, my um, secondary school were Jewish. Mm. And it was, uh, I've been in, uh, at least nominally, Church of England foundations from uh, throughout my edu educational history. Um, so in that environment... Um, you just have the experience of growing up and living together. And uh, I think Pope John Paul talks about the the most earnest and uh, real dialogue is the experience of living together. Um, when he went to visit Christian communities in uh, in the Levant and in, 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 in across the Middle East. Um, so the reality for, for me um, uh, and indeed for my for my uh, mates growing up together uh, was that of, of of being friends and brothers, uh, where uh, the um, the religious uh, labels mattered less uh, than the realities of our, uh, our relationship with God, and that is a point at which all conservative traditional believers across the different faiths can agree. Mm. So I can talk to Pastor James and I can talk to uh, Father Paddy McCafferty and they totally get it when we talk about God speaking to the heart of every single individual, regardless of their uh, confession or belief. Uh, God does not have favorites. God will talk to the most ardent uh, atheist uh, opponent of of any theistic doctrine and uh, and and likewise uh all 
three of us in this peculiar trinity mm. uh, recognised the problems of institutional and organised religion. And that is another manifestation of conservative uh, religious belief. Mm -hmm. uh, they realise that the institutions aren't important mm. and the institutions are in many cases uh, part of the problem. Mm. Uh, and so, um, you know, our, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the prophetic calling uh, that Pastor James uh, speaks to, that Father Paddy speaks to, that yourselves mm. all speak to, is that you're not about uh, the kind of communitarian institutional defend institution defending uh, religious uh, believer, but rather you uh, speak out of scripture, uh, you speak out of uh, the traditions of people of faith who have uh, bravely spoken what they conscientiously believe to be true. And so when you come to a conversation with somebody recognizing and validating the fact that, you know, you recognize that they are speaking conscientiously and not out of uh, any sort of disingenuous political mm. malice or anything, mm. then then that, that's a point at which uh, honesty, uh, you know, Honesty becomes the the foundation for that conversation. Mm. Um, I would, you know, but at the same time, you know, in relation to Pastor James's comments, uh, I have, uh, you know, we've 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 had conversations about one Peter three fifteen, you know, mm. always with uh, with gentleness mm. and and respect, and and you know what constitutes a Christ like way of of bearing witness mm. and and bringing people to to Christ mm. and and you know these are these are honest conversations that we're able to have um but at the same time i uh you know there's genuine love yeah. uh, i've i've been to Whitewell Metropolitan Church a few times now mm -hmm. sometimes uh on my own sometimes with others and and it's 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 just a a wonderfully warm welcoming uh environment um, not a lot of uh, people called Muhammad. There. Not a lot of people called Muhammad, <laughs> um, and and you know some people, some of my colleagues, uh, rabbinical colleagues, mm. and others, and and liberal Christian mm. colleagues, have taken offence when I said, well, actually, yeah, they they have prayed for me from the pulpit and said that, mm. you know, he's on a journey, and and let's hope that you know that journey brings him to the to to Calvary, mm. um, and I'm honoured that they say that. Others are offended that they mm. say that about me. Mm. But uh, it shows a genuine commitment um, to living a Christian life, mm. and 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 it enables um, people of sincerity to speak to one another. And I think that's that's very much what Ankuin has been about. It's part of mm. is very much what Ross Trevor has been about, mm. and what Tommy and and Katrina and the and the mm. brothers and sisters there have, have been committed to. Mm. There are far too many uh, dialogical initiatives that are actually not about dialogue at all. They're about, uh, um, you know, they're not interfaith dialogue, they're intercommunal politics. And they're politicians uh, doing uh, political manoeuvring and and not saying what, you know, I've always talked about the worst kind of interfaith as, as these meetings where of nice people saying nice things that they don't mm. really mean to mm. each other. So, so it's, yes. it's, it's quite the opposite. So the, and going back to that first encounter that we had uh, at, in our center in Ross River in Ancuin, um we had a circle of people and we had uh, Pastor Jim McConnell on one side with a couple of his elders we had former Presbyterian moderator, former Archbishop of Armagh from the Church of Ireland, mm -hmm. uh, Catholic bishops, Benedictine monks, uh, 
a couple of rabbis, mm. one from Belfast and one from uh, London. Um, and we had several uh, people from Sunni and Shia uh, backgrounds in the, from the Muslim tradition. Um, and it was, I found it very meaningful to sit there and to listen to, and, and it was uncomfortable to face what he said. Mm. You know, Pastor Jim, you said this, um, and for a member of the Islamic Institute to kind of say, this is what it made us feel like. Mm. And for him to respond and, you know, I think that was a meaningful process. In that kind of first day together, one of the things that we decided, how do we have a conversation with all these different religious leaders? And I suppose one of the thoughts was, is you were one of the ones really kind of saying, look, we don't want to just have a nice kind of quote-unquote interfaith gathering where all these different religious leaders come. And like you said, they all say nice things to each other. How do we have something of a discussion that's a bit more robust, and also, but also a bit constructive? A phrase mm. that you used was a higher quality of disagreement or a better quality of disagreement. Um, what does that phrase mean to you? Yeah. Well, it means at, on two levels. It means what... Uh, in an experiential sense, it it means the kind of conversations that you and I would have had growing up as kids mm. um, with your mates, your Jewish mates, your Christian mates. They just say what's on their mind, mm. uh, but you're still friends, mm. and the affection and the brotherhood holds that conversation together. So, so honesty held within relationship is the is the natural. Is, is, is the natural uh, uh, reality of our family and, and friendships growing up on a personal level. Um, but in the public domain, uh, in public conversations, it's very much the reverse. So uh, people are in conversation, but they're not in relationship when they're having those conversations. And consequently, uh, they constantly have half an eye towards their own constituency, half an eye towards where they want to get in their careers and in their, or in their polit political um, self-advancement. And, and, and in the mix of all of that, uh, the whole exercise becomes disingenuous. Um, change can only happen when there is trust. Trust will take time to build up, but certainly a very large part of building that trust is to say from the outset that I'm not going to participate in, 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 in the art of saying nice things you don't really mean to people you don't really like, but, but go in with an absolute commitment to, to being true to who you are uh, and, and where necessary to saying things from a place of conviction uh, that you genuinely believe, uh, as opposed to saying things purely in order to hurt other people. Mm. And so uh, with that in mind, um, when, you know, one of the sort of the upshots of the Ross Trevor initiative was I got invited to speak to the Newry Interchurch Forum. Mm. And again, that was an environment where, in contrast to the niceness of North London culture, uh, this kind of John Knox North mm. of Ireland, um, you know, preaching tradition meant that people just said what they felt, and they said how frightened they would be mm. if they saw a woman in a burqa mm. walking through the middle of Newry, mm. and how shocked they would be if they saw mosques being built in their neighbourhood. And I took that, mm. and I felt it. It hurt. Yeah but I felt it mm. as a genuine expression of how people 
had perceived the realities of what they saw on their TV screens and the risks that it potentially posed to their uh, communities, their lives, their families, and so on. And and you know, I I I can acknowledge that people will need to accommodate change. They will need to accommodate diverse, um, you know, the diversification of 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 Northern Ireland and of Ireland, um, both ethnically, linguistically, in all kinds of ways. But at the same time, uh, if there is not the exercise of listening to people's concerns and fears, mm-hmm. uh, then we will get ourselves into terrible mess, mm. as we've seen. So. Yeah. The one of the, the the what we decided when we first met together in that group was we were kind of thinking how do we kind of bring it together? What can we kind of talk about? Essentially, mm. you know, we want to have a discussion with Muslims, Christians, and Jews, um, and we. But what do we talk about? And a suggestion I think it was Father Mark from the Benedictine Monastery up the road said ask everyone where they see hospitality in their mm. own tradition, in their mm. own faith, in their own scriptures. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's really what we kind of studied that first day is what would it look, what does hospitality mean? And mm. we kind of then went off in our religious groups to discuss what does it mean for Christians to, where do we see hospitality in, in, in the Bible? And the Muslims did the same thing and the rabbis did the same thing. Um, what if you think of Islam? What do you think of when you think of hospitality? Obviously, we're talking about immigrant populations, the way yeah. we speak to each other, the way we deal with difference. Um, what does hospitality in your scriptures mean to you? Oh, absolutely. Well, that's a it's a huge question, uh, you know, and and deeply embedded within uh, both scripture and tradition, uh, the oral tradition of of. of uh, of my uh, my faith of heritage, um, you talked first of all about about the the role of scripture in 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 uh, these kind of conversations, and you know one of the things that is extremely helpful in promoting that higher quality of disagreement is the discipline of grounding our conversations about what our own traditions say in the in the texts uh, that speak to that. So you know. It can be a very problematic conversation when, when I'm sat sat there saying Islam says, uh, and somebody on the other side of the table is saying, well, Christianity says. Well, I don't have the authority to speak for Islam, you know. And the the Muslim sat on that side and that side of me will have completely different views to to what I might uh, have to say. And consequently, one of the disciplines in building a higher quality of disagreement is to ground the conversation in the text. It both provides a referee in terms of, you know, what does Islam actually say? Uh, what do the Hadith say? What does the Quran say? As opposed to what does, you know, uh, any any particular individual have to say uh, about, the, about the faith? And at the same time, it also provides a... Uh, um, a, a, an atmosphere in which, because of the presence of the sacred, it it, it kind of regulates people's behaviour, um, and so it enables people to disagree disagree quite sharply with the with with uh, with proof text and and for text to be the basis upon which conversation about religious difference uh, to be grounded. Um, in relation to hospitality, that is one example where there is abundant material in both the scripture and in the hadith which is which are the 
oral sayings of Islam's prophet that have been transmitted to us uh, by his companions and then the followers of those companions and then later on compiled into into bodies of, of, of oral tradition. So there is considerable material that talks about uh, about hospitality across religious tribal boundaries. So uh, the story of uh, the feast at which the, the uh, at which Islam's prophet uh, said, "Don't forget my our Jewish neighbor. Don't forget our Jewish neighbor." And and to make sure that the Jewish neighbor was was fed and and catered for as well. There's hospitality uh, that predates uh, Islam. Uh, the coming of Islam to to the Arabian Peninsula, uh, which is grounded in a desert society uh, where hospitality isn't just kind of a nicety, a, a social courtesy. It's a matter of life and death. So if somebody touches the tent of your touches the tent peg of your tent, then you are honor bound to take them into your protection. Um, so if you don't have people to look out for you, in time of famine or when you're being threatened by your enemies, you're, you're a dead man. So hospitality is, is an essential part of the fabric of society. So somebody who comes to you seeking protection has the right to your protection. Not, it's, it's, it's not just a, 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 an option. It has the right to your protection. Somebody who comes to you seeking uh, you know, your care, uh, you're uh, being fed and looked after. Any person can come to your house. To this day, any person can knock on your door if you're a Muslim, mm. and stay at your house for three days, no questions asked. Mm. It's just one of those mm. things. Mm. Um, it's a, you have a duty to provide, and that is grounded in scripture uh, and and in the oral tradition. and And there are scriptures that uh, we sh- there are stories that we share in common in our scriptures. So, for example, the the story of uh, the visitation of the angels uh, to Abraham at the terebinths of Mamre. Uh, that that story is found in the Quran as well, um, and so uh, the uh, the discussion around that uh, in the Islamic tradition, um, you know, provides a very rich basis for conversation uh, with our Jewish and Christian brothers and sisters. So, mm. so hospitality is is grounded in a sense of the duty of protection to one another in 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 a survival environment. Uh, but it's also grounded in uh, the sense that hospitality knows no name, no tribe, uh, no um, uh, you know, no no differences of confession, mm. and it's it's a level at which we are nakedly human mm. in front of one another. Okay. Um, so um, I think uh, what it would be interesting just to hear. Um, your thoughts. We've we've talked a lot about already about speech and free speech and how to disagree in a way that's actually where we really are disagreeing robustly, mm-hmm. um, respectfully, hopefully, but but not also, you know, just beating around the bush and kind of not really saying anything. And and you've also talked about the importance of, you know, really looking at our scripture um, when you're coming from different religious backgrounds. Um, I guess when I look at the world today, we do have a scenario where we have this clash of what you described at the beginning is kind of millennial, maybe this kind of politically correct kind of culture of using the right language. And and I've heard people say, well, that's just kind. That's just being mm. kind. It is, to say politically correct 
can mean at its best just being kind. But I think we all probably also have seen examples of it being maybe going a bit far and you can't even really speak any, it, it feels like for, for many people. On the other hand, you've got, you know, the phenomenon of certain political leaders that may or may not go named <laughs> who are using, un, have been becoming extremely blunt in an unprecedented way in the yes. political sphere. Um, and you've got cases of religious leaders um, from all religious traditions kind of using speech that is far from respectful. Quite. How do you think you, in this society that we're living in in 2020, can we balance the need to be respectful, to be kind, but also to be able to disagree well and kind of move beyond just kind of the in an inability to really actually communicate well. And, sure. You know, um, what are some of the, how do we do that? Not even, partly I guess is religious people, but then also out in society where people sure. may or may not have religious faith. Sure. Well, I mean, to, to speak of religious people, I mean, I think the starting point um, has to be uh, an acknowledgement that in in certainly in the Abrahamic traditions there is a recognition of uh, the, the 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 presence of God in every single individual regardless of their confession, and if that is taken away uh, from the conversation uh, and uh, Christianity, for example. Uh, becomes what it became in Germany between 1933 and 1945, uh, where uh, where Jesus was uh, was removed from his uh, Judaic context, from his Jewish context, and instead was transformed into an Aryan anti-Semitic superhero, mm. um, and where religion became about blood and soil and honor and all that kind of stuff. Then we are no longer in the space. We're no longer in a Christian space. And uh, I have seen both in the Middle East, uh, in the Muslim context, and also, sadly, also in North America at times, in a Christian context, where sometimes in some of these large-scale religious gatherings, it's very difficult to know where, for example, the cross ends and the star-spangled banner begins. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, uh, where in... Uh, you know, never, we don't even have to go to the Middle East in, in parts of London where God is barely talked about and it's really about the length of your beard mm. and that you dress like us and you look like us and you, um, and, and you are part of the tribe. Mm. And then it turns into the idolatry of tribalism. Mm. And, you know, I don't need to talk about that in the Northern Ireland context uh, there's that famous story, the anecdote. I've, I've forgotten the name of the politician uh, who said, you know, when challenged by a church, a very brave Church of Ireland minister who went to talk to his Catholic neighbours at a time when you didn't do that sort of thing. And the politician said to him, um, let's keep the religion out of Protestantism, you know. And, and so when we've lost... Uh, the fundamental Christianness of our Christianity, or the or the Islamness, the submission to Godness, mm. which is what Islam means, of 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 our Muslim uh, heritage, then it becomes an idolatry of tribe, and it you know as Jonathan Sachs talked about the uniqueness of monotheism being the abandonment of uh, my God, my petty godling, 
you know, uh, my tribe uh, versus your tribe being uh, grounded and and uh, and built into doctrine as my God versus your God of Moloch versus Ammon mm. and all that kind mm. of thing. Um, you know, when when we have when the starting point for our conversations is an abhorrence of that idolatry, of that tribalism, and of recognizing that we are all children of the one Father, then you can have differences uh, that it can be quite robust. Because as I've said, just like when we were young, you can have robust differences, but they need to be held in relationship. Mm. You cannot have robust differences where the relationship has broken down. Mm. And, and those groupings who are out to separate people into tribes, those kind of people are not the people that you can you can uh, countenance in, in in conversation. Whereas people of of robust uh, belief who might utterly disagree with uh, the doctrines and and and, uh, and traditions that I hold, but nonetheless, uh, in, from their belief perspective, recognize me as a child of God, just like every other. Those are kind of people that you can have very uh, uh, clear differences of belief. Mm. Um, and you touch on there, uh, really, the idea of uh, religious nationalism. Yes. Um, and, you know, I read an article yesterday that was kind of implying... Um, uh, you know, actually, many people who call themselves re religious um, in places like the North American context or over here, um, they may call themselves that, but it's really just a, a kind of a moniker. It's just a, a kind of way of saying, basically, I'm British or I'm American, yeah, you yeah, know. Quite, quite so. uh, and actually, their behavior doesn't usually exhibit much in the kind of... Um, you know, faithful witness of a good life, you know. Mm -hmm. But those who are more inclined to be uh, faithful, you know, weekly adherents of their faith in some way, it does tend to kind of impact on their, you know, the way they hold their beliefs. I've heard it said it's not so much what we believe, but how we believe it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly I think faithfulness in a religious context can lead us to hold our beliefs in a, in a, better way yes would absolutely. you agree with that absolutely absolutely i mean i think it's it's both about uh the conviction that we uh we uh hold to in 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 being seekers of of truth uh, of prioritizing truth and not allowing our uh, pride or our prejudice to get in the way of that pursuit of truth mm. and recognizing that you know our our, our views can be challenged, and if we are truly disciples of of, of God and of, of truth, then then we, we we should be open to changing those beliefs. I mean, my my positions on on many things have have been challenged and broken down, and I've had to rethink them. and And that ought to be the sincere position of any person uh, of of faith mm. who 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 truly recognizes that only God is truth. Mm. Uh, um, and you know, religious nationalism or, or positivist Christentum in 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 uh, uh, the um, in the Nazi context is something that we see spread far and wide across the Muslim world at the moment. It's a, it's you know, Muslim world is deeply idolatrous, and I say that very 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 vocally. It is an, a profoundly idolatrous um, community uh, or communities. You know, you cannot. Uh, go to a mosque of a different, um, you know, slightly different sectarian belief. 
And even in this country, there are mosques that are separated on on ethnic lines. Mm. Um, um, the realities of um, Muslim society are about tribalism, conformism. Um, it's partly shaped by a rejection uh, by the by the colonial history mm. and and the rejection of Westernism. Um, but here we find a situation where God has been subordinate, subordinated uh, to the human needs to belong to a, a, a people group and to a tribal uh, construct. And, and that is, that's idolatry. Mm. And that's what my tradition, my religion, my scripture speaks about very vocally. It's something that Jesus, uh, Jesus's life and ministry uh, exemplifies. You know, he, 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 he sat with Samaritans, uh, he spoke to tax collectors and prostitutes. He broke all the rules of, of tribalism. And and it's something that the Jewish tradition, uh, likewise, you know, you talk about the tikkun olam of healing the world. And, uh, and not, not, not just the Jewish people, but of, you know, healing all, healing the brokenness of, of all of, all of the, uh, the universe in that sense. So, mm. so yeah, I mean, it, it, a, a conservative conviction is a much easier basis for a conversation for me than um, people whose uh, beliefs might be lukewarm and those those beliefs therefore transfer onto just kind of the institutional, um, mm. you know, things to do with uh, organizations and vestments and Mm. Uh, and committees and loyalty to institution mm. and and that's that's been very profoundly problematic yeah. for me. I'll ask one more religious question and then maybe we'll talk about music. Um, okay. Just you mentioned the word truth, you know, and of course truth is, I mean, in in some ways that is a, the ultimate polarizing word, you know, like I have truth, you know, uh, in a postmodern context. What was it? The Manic Street Preachers 20 years ago had the album, This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours, you know, mm -hmm. this, uh, which is really uncovering that kind of a relative, you know, relativistic idea. You know, it's hard to know what truth is. Um, one thing that's been meaningful for me is seeing truth. You know, Jesus said, I, as a Christian, I can say, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he, he wasn't necessarily just saying these are a bunch of 50 propositional truths believe them. He was saying, I am the truth. Truth was embodied mm. somehow in a person. Um, and so truth became relational. Truth became, you know, much more than just he was having a, an argument and he thought he knew right. Um, right. Uh, is that, do you kind of identify with that? Is there something in that kind of truth, not just being, of course, we've got to argue about things, you know, but is there a way that maybe we can hold our beliefs in a more relational way and, and yeah. that almost becomes part of what truth is absolutely well i think one of the things that uh that it's, it's not as pronounced as in the in the in the christian traditions but one of the things that's uh certainly there um is the reality of of god being as close to you as your juggler vein um and also that uh the the tradition that uh, the heart of a believer is between the two fingers of his Lord. Mm. And he might wake up in the morning being a believer and go to bed being an unbeliever or wake up as an unbeliever and go to bed being a believer. Mm. Uh, so so the sense in which we have no right to claim as 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 created, created 
beings. We have no right to claim uh, the divinity the att- and attributes of divinity, which is possession of absolute truth. That's something that's very deeply grounded in our tradition. And, and rather, um, there's other oral traditions that talk about how uh, Islam will be divided into so many sects, you know, and the majority will be in the hellfire. Uh, there's a Hadith Qudsi, which is one of the highest, most revered um, oral traditions, which kind of is approaching the status of scripture itself. And it talks about how the first three people in the in hellfire, the first will be an imam who has been a great religious leader and has preached. And, and he will say, you know, have, have I not, have I not, you know, Lord, have I not, you know, done so many gracious things and know so much about religion and, you know, preached so well uh, in your name. And he, and, he, and he will be cast into the hellfire because he did it for his own sake. And the second one is the, is the um, to go to, the, to, to, to hellfire is the, is the philanthropist who built, you know, um, who, who built religious uh, structures and donated to charitable causes and did so much good in the world. Uh, but he did it not for the not for the sake of his Lord, but to a certain extent, it was contaminated by his own ego. And the third, uh, which is particularly poignant in the current uh, global uh, situation of, of religious extremism, is the is the mujahid, the 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 the, the jihad fighter, the fighter for uh, of of religious um, you know of holy holy war, uh, who gave his life, who shed his life. Uh, as uh, shed his blood for as a, as a martyr, and and he will be cast into in into a, a damnation for the same same reason. So all the pious, uh, and I remember talking in uh, you know outside the courtroom with Pastor James about this, and and you know how on the day of judgment in my tradition there will be so many shocks, and he says absolutely that's how it will be for for me as well. So there there is a profound recognition among those who have strong convictions that it would be idolatrous to say that I have the truth because only God is truth. Mm-hmm. And, and through that, uh, 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 combined with the sense that all, you know, that God's compass, you know, he's not a God of the gaps. God's compass includes everyone mm-hmm. uh, and all of us are children of God. And that doesn't mean all of us are, are right with God, but it means all of us are children of God. Um, through through that, it provides the basis for uh, for uh, uh, humility, but also a relational engagement around questions of truth. I I, I believe. But, mm. you know. Okay, I want to take us to a different place, which is Irish music, yes. particularly Irish traditional music. And um, you, uh, what is unique about you is not only your capacity to dialogue with rabbis and fundamentalist preachers. Um, but also that you are a Chanos singer, which is a very traditional type of Irish music. Um, and you, uh, yeah, you've, you've won awards. You've, you're loved in Ireland. You sing in Irish, you know. Uh, where, did the, where did that all come from? Well, I, I think, you know, it, it arises at a certain level from, um, you know, you have the family that you're born into and the family that you're gifted into. Mm. And, and, you know, when you're... Uh, you know, traveling the, the the road of life, there are different things that you're exposed to. Uh, you have your education, you have uh, public school and Oxbridge and English culture and all that kind of thing. Um, uh, I've been playing the violin 
not the fiddle, the violin, <laughs> uh, since I was six years old. Uh, did all my grades and uh, played in orchestras at school. And the music was nice. Um, but one of the things that uh, really uh, changed things for me was, um, was you know, I, I went to medical school, but I never wanted to be a medic ever. It was the family business. And so also I, I didn't have a very uh, happy time engaging with us in, in the stuffiness and the elitism of the university that I went to. So out on the east end of Oxford, there was an Irish pub, mm -hmm. um, the Bullingdon Arms. It's mm -hmm. gone now, but it was there and um, shouldn't be going into pubs, mm -hmm. but, uh, but there was a, a, a music night there. And so I just started to engage with that. Mm -hmm. I had Irish friends growing up, always loved the music tradition, but I thought it was so ethnically grounded mm -hmm. that you kind of didn't even have the right to like Irish music if you weren't Irish. Mm -hmm. um, but but in the in the Bully Arms, you were just welcomed for whatever little tunes you could pick up mm -hmm. and play. Uh, and and so it was primarily as a fiddle player. And then much later in life, you know, you know, when you've had difficult times and being bullied by religious leaders or whatever it is that's going on, you kind of hark back to the things that were good in your life. And and so I picked up the fiddle again. And this time, um, you know, I went to the London Irish Centre and there was this wonderful, just overwhelming welcome, you know, for somebody who doesn't have a drop of Celtic blood in him, mm. just overwhelming welcome. Uh, I met this uh, brilliant, uh, international award-winning uh, fiddle player Karen Ryan, uh, and and so I've been doing the sort of advanced fiddle with her for a few years now, um, and uh, and it was actually her uncle, who it was a multi uh, All Ireland champion in Shannos, uh, who took me under his wing in relation to the sing because well I, I I never really thought about the singing I did used to sing choir chapel choir once once or twice a little bit. Um, um, but I, I, the singing was never really a big thing. Uh, but then I just absolutely adored the Irish tradition of song. And, and um, um, uh, Pat Connolly is from Connemara. He's just been a, a, a mentor and a, a teacher and uh, just, just brilliant. And Seamus Brogan, again, sort of mighty champion singer from, from Wexford, from, on, on, from Cultus Culture Era. And, you know, these, these friends and, and, and teachers and mentors, they have been nothing but the gracious soul of kindness to me. And so, you know, in all of that rootlessness growing up, you know, I finally found a home um, to which I have no connection by uh, blood or genetics mm -hmm. at all. Um, mm -hmm. But it's 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 a family, uh, and the Irish music tradition has just been a, a wonderful tradition because it's like the we've been talking about throughout. It's grounded in relationship. It's not mm -hmm. it's not sterile music up on the on the stage. And 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 uh, it's it, it's grounded in relationship. It's grounded in the pain and the suffering of history of of human uh, relationship that mm. can be broken, that can be rebuilt. Yeah. And 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 that's that's it's the relational dimension to it that's been mo more important than anything else. Okay, yeah, I mean Irish music is, I suppose, best heard in a in a pub uh, in front of a fire. Um, where for a couple of hours you you go you span the emotions from the heartbreaking kind of lament to you know rousing uh, you know sing-alongs and yeah. um, 
I mean, you you've learned to sing in some in Irish. I mean, I won't get you to sing because your 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 uh, voice is gone a wee bit. Gone, yeah. Um, but what would be? Could you recite a couple of lines of maybe a favorite Irish song? Uh, yeah, uh, a song in Irish that you've that yeah. you love. Well, um, Schlieve Galgoa is is a song about home, um, and um, it was uh, written actually um, in exile. Uh, in Wales, <laughs> not so far away. It's a Waterford song, and it talks, uh, uh, you know, about um, uh, the the longing for for home, the sense of of, of belonging, and it's always spoken to me. Um, part, partly because it was one of the first Irish airs that I learnt on the fiddle from Karen, and then later on, uh, Pat Connolly, uh, her uncle, put the words to it. So it it was it was a Shannon song that became a fiddle tune, and then it became a Shannon song again, and and it's 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 just just very uh, you know very meaning, meaningful for me. And uh, <clears throat> see if I can get my my voice has been very broken. I'll see if I can <clears throat> just give it a go, just a couple of mm. Um, mm. lines of it. Oh, Cleve, Galguana, Failer, is for the wheat again, me. Em, he cosh, Gwynnim, Mainer, go trailer, we run. On teal of we a heaved yonder make a shoe, O Cleaver, Ischgen glas ne schäver, nor schkappen chas ne grin on. On spär gil gans mal. Nor de menschen schud wen welt on, nor a hitten drucht. Or around Marcliffe Galgo, nor yection, though midir Oh, sorry, the voice yeah. isn't, isn't at its best. Don't say sorry. That was that was beautiful, Muhammad. Thank you. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, it's uh, it's songs that speak across the span of humanity mm. i mean it, they are mm. just common human traditions they are all there's also research that alleges that uh that shannos uh came from north africa via galicia uh to to the shores of ireland uh and and you know reflects uh, uh the the flow of migration and and of 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 you know uh mm. human thought and art and you know, wonderfulness across mm. across the seas. So, mm. so you know, another thing that 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 was uh, that was mentioned was was there are uh, traditions that are as far flung as Korea 
uh, that have a Shan Nose tradition that is is rich and bright and beautiful and uh, and and strikingly similar. So mm. so you know there are there are sort of assonances across continents that might be coincidental or might simply reflect uh, the fact that we're all fundamentally human. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, maybe we'll just finish with um, a question about the word you said, home there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're someone, your parents left their home. Uh, they came to a new place. Um, you have, you live in, in South of England, but you've got this love for Ireland. You visit Ireland many times. Um, what does home mean to you in that sense? In it, because you're you're like many people who are immigrant people. I mean, I'm a migrant person. My forebears uh, left the north of Ireland to New Zealand. My dad moved back. You know, a <laughs> hundred years later, um, I married an American. You know, there's many more people migrating. Uh, we're living in increasingly pluralistic societies. <laughs> what does it mean? What does home mean in, in the world that we live in now? Sure. Well, I mean, there's a wider discourse. I mean, it, part of it came out of the recent sort of political ructions to do with Brexit um, and all the feelings that that brought up um, in, in, in Britain. Uh, and there's been this discourse about a, a, a metropolitan elite that are everywheres. Uh, they are international and in their outlook, uh, they are socially mobile uh, they, through technology, they can be everywhere at all times. Um, and then on the other hand, there are the somewheres, uh, people who are grounded in a sense of place, a sense of time, a sense of relationship. And, um, and when the, the everywheres and the somewheres uh, come into uh, a position with one another, sometimes it can be difficult. And sometimes it can lead to very sharp uh, political uh, di difference and division. And uh, some of that was reflected during the Brexit debates where communities that were somewhere communities uh, voted very much against the sort of the everywhere, uh, perceived elites uh, everywheres. And so um, I think for me, uh, there's always been this very strong yearning to have a sense of somewhere uh, while recognising the everywhere-ness of the heritage uh, of, of the circumstances of my my growing up. Um, and um, I would have said uh, that, you know, I'm not, I'm not somebody who's um, kind of a sort of socially mobile everywhere kind of, I'm not very sociable generally anyway, uh, but certainly um, when you come to places uh, in the Gwiltacht in, in, in the west of Ireland or in Donegal, um, mm. in North of Ireland, and and Tommy's very kindly, you know, mm. let me call Donegal home as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, um, you find people uh, who have a profound sense of their grounding in where they are and where they come from, but at the same time, very strikingly and quite extraordinarily, have a sense of. Uh, the of the sufferings and the and the and the feelings of others. One of the most momentous events in my entire little life uh, was a very good, uh, wonderful singer friend of mine, Francie Devine, took me down to uh, Kule on the Kerry border, and uh, and to a Shano Rida mass, 
that was led uh, by uh, Potter, his son Podorida. And uh, Podorida is, is a, a, a giant in the in in the uh, in the Irish tradition, uh, a protector of that heritage. And uh, it was a Catholic mass, uh, and I'm a Muslim imam. And he asked me, uh, in the middle of this mass, it was all in Irish, uh, the entire village spoke in Irish, and he asked me to recite, to sing, to cantillate some, uh, a, a, a couple of uh, short surahs, short chapters from the Quran. Mm. Now, over here in England, uh, when there is anything remotely resembling a uh, Muslim imam being invited to say a few words in a Christian service or something happens at a cathedral where there's a, a, a Muslim statement or some comment, it becomes kind of Daily Mail mm. headline. Mm. And so I was very sensitive to that. Mm. And I said, oh my goodness, no, this is a Catholic mass. Mm. You know, the integrity of the, of the, of the Christian mm. service needs to be respected and so on. And then Potter turned to me and he said, well, there's been a lot of genocide in this part of Ireland. And, um, you know, and uh, a huge amount of loss and destruction of our tradition. And I got the sense that this was a man who totally understood who he was, where he was from, and he spent his whole life defending that. And then he said, because of that, uh, we have a sense of the sufferings of others. And so I would like you to bring to the to to this mass something that is deep to your own tradition, and out of that deep and incredibly local um, sense of who you who they were as Irish speaking people um, in 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 in, in uh, that part of Ireland, uh, they were able to empathise and to reach out with no sense of feeling threatened mm. at all it wasn't from another culture. It wasn't diminishing their faith to Absolutely. allow your faith to be expressed. Or, or indeed my language and my um, culture. And mm. so that's, that kind of brings us back to the sense of those who have a strong sense of where they're from and, and what they're about and who they are and what they, uh, what they believe to be uh, right and true. Um, these, those are the kind of people who with integrity, it's about integrity, isn't it? Mm. Who those people, it's, it's about people of integrity, able, being able to engage with integrity with other people of integrity. Mm. And, and that really brought everything home to me. And, and it, was, it was a real kind of Damascus Road kind mm. of, mm -hmm. in, in light, I, I, I remain humble to this day by that. Mm. You know. Well, you know, I think, um, I can speak as a Christian that I think knowing you as I have for these years and working with you on a few projects, your faith has made my faith better. And I think that is the ultimate thing we want to strive for in life is we're rather than protecting ourselves from people that are different or feeling like we have all the truth and we need to give it. Um, it does seem to be something beautiful about not moving into kind of relativistic no. truth, but appreciating the beauty and the faith of other people and the tradition and i and you very much have have i think have made me a better christian you know oh bless you mate and, and likewise uh, yeah and you are have, and i deeply respect your faith and and the way you live your life and the way you've created space for people the way peter adams this morning was talking about creating a space of grace and i think 
um, when you you deliberately you I just very obviously have friends across religious traditions, and so when we started meeting in Ross Trevor, you were like, "I'll call my rabbi friend, I'll call my Hindu friend," and it actually became very meaningful for us. You know, initially, I think community of Christians were like, but, oh, "Is that weird? You know, is this? How do we do this? You know, we didn't really know what we were doing." Um, we still don't probably, but it, I think it enriched us in some way. And um, so thanks, Muhammad, for your, for your well, life, bless, bless you, for your, your beautiful voice, well, your you, creativity, thanks. your commitment to Ireland and commitment to peace and reconciliation. So, and commitment to dialogue and, and letting people speak and uh, being courageous. So thank you. Thanks for having this interview. Good market. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much.